What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacoste Bucket Podcast. I am Tanner Demling. It is Thursday, May 19th here in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. And this weekend is NCAA quarterfinal weekend getting underway on Saturday. And uh, what we're going to do today is preview these great games that we have on Deck, Rutgers, Penn, Princeton, Yale, Maryland, Virginia, Cornell, Delaware. It is going to be an exciting weekend of lacrosse. But before we get to that portion, previewing these games, just as we did on, what was the last podcast, Monday, some transfer portal updates. Transfer portal updates here. So, Jacob Kelly heading to Georgetown, the North Carolina attackman, heading to the Hoyas as a grad transfer. Another Carolina to Georgetown connection there, as you have Will Bowen there already. He'll be back uh, for another year. I think he might have two years left, actually. Bowen does. Um, at, at Georgetown. Oh, two years he can use, uh, I, I should say. Jacob Kelly's now in there. You had Alex Trippy transfer there over, uh, you know, last season and, and had a really good time with them this past season as a grad transfer. Um, some other big Georgetown news today out of the portal. James Riley. Coming back for his fifth season, um, James Riley and Dylan Watson, uh, Riley the face-off man, Watson the uh, attack man, uh, inside finisher there, Canadian. He, both of those guys were all in the portal, or were, I should say. Um, you know, Riley obviously coming back to Georgetown. I don't know what Watson's situation is uh, there, but both guys were in the portal as grad transfers were listed as such. Uh, Riley able to come back to Georgetown for his fifth season. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen there with Watson, uh, but getting James Riley back is a really big get for this whole year's program because he has been a mainstay at the faceoff dot, a top 10 guy nationally uh, the past couple of seasons. All Big East selection, I think it was an honorable mention, Inside Lacrosse All-American, we'll see the USILA All-Americans, I think, come out this weekend, I believe, um, or next weekend. We'll see when that when that drops. Last week, last year, it dropped during the first round. So, um, you know, pushed. I, I guess they're doing it this weekend, this year. I, I, I don't know. Um, oh, you know what? No, got the reverse. It, same as last year. Same as last year. Um, anyway. Big, big news for Georgetown. They're getting James Riley back, um, and he's a guy with this offense to get those extra possessions. Uh, and then getting Jacob Kelly in there. And when you look at this Georgetown offense, talked about it a little bit on Monday there, about how the, the, this offense looked the past couple of games and against that Del- in that Delaware game especially, um, and, you know, it, you know, I, I see Kelly as a guy that can come in 
And he's an attackman there. So, you know, whether Watson does leave, he can slip into that spot there. Uh, TJ Haley is back for another season. He was just a sophomore. Declan McDermott, Glenn Bundy Jr., both midfielders. Um, Dylan Hess, the 2A guy, is another top uh, seven scorer back uh, back next season for the Hoyers. So Jacob Kelly is going to be able to fit right in there. I think he's going to fit pretty well in possibly that role, um, maybe not exactly of where he played in terms of, like, his position. Um, when you look at Alex Trippi, uh, as far as he was a midfielder, um, but in that kind of ilk of he can come in and make an impact. And, and Trippi was not nearly as um, an effective scorer at uh, Carolina. He was kind of their sixth, seventh option, if you will, in many cases, fifth, sixth, seventh option. But he was a, a consistent contributor, and he came to Georgetown and just exploded this year as one of the top point getters. Uh, TJ Haley, Dylan Watson, uh, Connor Marin uh, was the three starting attack th- th- this past couple of games there. Uh, Marin is a North Carolina transfer, a grad transfer. He'll be out after this season, I believe, as well. So Jacob Kelly getting, you know, going to be able to slide in there, make an impact initially. Some other transfer portal news I do want to mention here. Uh, the Syracuse Orange have picked up a transfer out of the Division Three ranks. Joe uh, Boa, a short-stick defensive midfielder out of Kenyon College in Ohio, a Division Three guy. I've not seen him play, uh, but from what I've heard, and you look at the accolades, you look at the statistics, he was part of a top three. Uh, at the, like When those season ended, they were ranked third in the country. Uh, they're in scoring defense, uh, it, it, holding teams, I think it was like seven or eight goals a game is what Kenyon was doing this season. Uh, and, and, and Bola is a guy that, and by the way, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, apologies. But he's a guy that was very, very instrumental on that defense on the back end. And he also made uh, a pretty sizable contribution transition offense-wise as well. He had 10 goals, three assists this past season, 20 cause turnovers, 61 ground balls uh, there for Kenyon. Syracuse has had success with Division Three transfers on the defensive end in recent history. Mitch Wyckoff was an LSM. We'll see how this one turns out. Um, you know, when you look at <clears throat> Syracuse and that defensive midfield room, you know, uh, you know, frankly, I didn't watch a lot of Syracuse later on in the season just because they weren't, you know, wasn't worth watching in terms of there was anything there. Uh, but when you look at the that kind of defensive midfield spot, Brandon Alvis is, is obviously the, the big name that is there. And he just a sophomore this season, 
he will be coming back. Max Max Rosa, also a sophomore, so he'll be coming back as well. So uh, Alves and Rosa, the two guys there this season uh, that that headlined that defensive midfield room, uh, and, and so you're adding a veteran presence into that room here with Bola, uh, a, a Division three grad transfer out of Kenyan College. He's actually the second guy out of Kenyan going to D1, uh, Declan Curry, midfielder, uh, heading to Sa- uh, Sacred Heart next season uh, there as a grad transfer as well. So Kenyan uh, getting some good, you know, guys moving up the ranks there uh, from that program. Interesting to see that. Let's move on to the game previews, shall we? And we'll start right here with the Mitch Bartolo Bowl, Rutgers, Penn. This is a game I'm excited for. So kind of set the stage. Rutgers uh, and Penn will go head-to-head in Hempstead on Saturday at noon. Rutgers is coming off that convincing win over Harvard uh, last Saturday, Sunday, while Penn is coming off of that overtime victory against Richmond on Saturday. Some kind of points to to watch in this game, the the, the transition battle, you know, or the transition game, I should say. You know, Rutgers has that NASCAR offense. Um, Nick Tureski, Brennan Kamish at the defensive midfield spot, Ellison, Ethan Law can step over the midfield line and make an impact. Uh, they certainly can. They certainly do. And whether that is, you know, dumping the lock down to an offensive player who, you know, dodges or takes a step down shot or moves it once more um, there for an assist, you know, this is a, you know, the rope unit there is very instrumental in this NASCAR offense, in this transition sequence. And this transition offense for Rutgers is very, very good. Very good. Um, and, you know, Ross Scott, Mitch Bartolo, Penn grad transfer, Ronan Jacoby, others among them on that offensive end. They get the rock quick. They move it quick. They can do damage there on the back end. You know, putting an exclamation point, as I like to say, on those transition sequences. It's going to be interesting interesting to see how that pans out here in this game because Penn is a team that also can run. They don't do it like they did in 2019. I think if I did it a bit more early on this season than they, than they do now, when you go back and you look at that Georgetown game, uh, they certainly did it. When you go back and look at some of those earlier games, they certainly did it as well. But um, when you look at this Penn team now, they can certainly push the issue. They're not as, they're not as, not relentless, but they're not as, you know, assertive on getting those possession, getting those fast break possessions as they were in 2019 when, you know, we have those images of B.J. Farrar, that defense making stops, and him just splitting down the field with the ball. Um, and, and certainly when you look at guys like a Piper Bond, uh, demons that can go both ways, that make an impact for this Penn team as well. They can play in transition. So, it, you know, with Rutgers doing that, A, 
it, you know, A, is Penn going to be able to defend that? Because there was multiple times last week where Richmond got out in transition, and we've talked about the Ben Bedard hit um, uh, where he breaks up that pass there on the ride that really <laughs> saves the game. So they saved the game in the middle of the field. But there were other times where Richmond just took it up there, you know, at will. Um, it just walked on in and, and was able to get not easy goals, but the defense didn't defend it very well. So th- that is going to be something to certainly watch there, what that transition game looks like between these two. And then also, Rutgers, concerning their defense, how do you, how do you guard this Penn offense? How do you do that? You have Sam Hanley is obviously going to be your initiator. Sam Hanley is going uh, to, to create plays for himself. He's going to create plays for others. That's what he does, and he's done that all season long. He's going to do that. I don't care who, you know, what the name of Cross your jersey is, what decal you have on the side of your helmet. Sam Hanley's going to create plays against your defense. That's just a fact of the matter. Um, now, outside of that, so A, how does Rutgers play Sam Hanley? He's going to get a poll, obviously. But how do they play him? Do, how do they slide to him early? No. What kind of slide packages do they have there? And then also, outside of Hanley, what does the rest of this offense look like on, on, on Saturday? Because, look, this is a team that outside of Hanley, and I would throw Dylan Goodgall into that mix as well, Penn hasn't gotten consistent production from really anybody um, since early in the year. And that's especially true in these recent games. Gabe Fury, 0 of 7 shooting. He did have three assists last week, uh, so, so that is a, a, an impactful point. But in terms of goal scoring, he's 0 for 7 shooting last week. He went 2 and 2 against Yale, so a solid game there. Cam Rubin has only scored two goals since a two-goal outing against Brown April 9th. He hasn't scored more than two goals in a month. And he's a top-five point getter for them. Ben Smith had a career day, was the hero uh, last, last week against Richmond. That's a guy who has started, I think, what, the past three games now for them, uh, being inserted into that lineup. And he can do some damage on the inside as an off-ball finisher. Do they go with him again? Like, who is it that's going to be able to step up? And I think that's what makes this – while Rutgers' offense is so dangerous because they can get those possessions, they can get those um, opportunities, I should say, quickly in transition, and they can move the ball so well, and they have so many different areas they can attack from on the field. Penn's offense is so dangerous because of the mystique around it. And especially recently, you don't know who's going to show up on which day. You, you just don't know. You can count on Sam Hanley. You can count on Dylan Gogol. Those two guys you can almost certainly count on. We're going to focus on those two guys. But wait a minute. They have all these other options who've had really good performances all season long, but it's not been consistent. So who is it that we're going to have to focus on today? And who is it that we're not going to be able to slide to today? A sl- uh, slide from? Like, 
that 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 is going to be interesting to see how this Rutgers defense plays this Penn offense. Obviously, Hamley's going to get the ball, but outside of that, you know, what is to be expected there? Additionally, the goalie position. The goalie position is one. Colin Coast and Patrick Bogenshaw both come into Saturday playing some of the best lacrosse of the season. Uh, Bogenshaw, obviously coming off of what was a really, really good Ivy League tournament. And then on Saturday, he had me pull up this box score here. Number stat is escaping me. He had 15 saves there uh, on Saturday against Richmond. Now, Colin Coase, he had 17 saves against uh, Harvard on Saturday. 17 saves against Harvard. And he was just one of, one of the two Coast boys that had a phenomenal game on Saturday. We'll talk about the other one here in a minute when we get to the Cornell game. But uh, really a phenomenal game for, for, for both of these guys on Saturday. Phenomenal play from both of these guys all season. Um, and, and they've really stepped up here recently. So I think, you know, defensively, that's something to watch there too, is Colin Post, Patrick Buzzenshaw, who is the guy that's going to step up the most? Who's going to be the most impactful in cage? Moving on to Princeton and Yale. Uh, so this is the second quarterfinal game on Saturday. Princeton Tigers and the Yale Bulldogs uh, at, you know, in Hempstead as well there. Yale won the first meeting back in March 14-12, to 12, one or two rematches this weekend, Maryland-Virginia being the obvious uh, you know, second one. S- some matchups to watch here, storylines, whatever. The Princeton D versus the Yale attack line. So, I mean, this is a Yale attack line, Matt Brandau, Leo Johnson, Chris Lyons, that combined for 12 points, 11 goals last week in the 18-16 win over St. Joseph's. This is an attack line that, frankly, is very, very good. Uh, and certainly when you look at Matt Brandau, Leo Johnson have been consistent all season. Matt Brandau, um, you know, how he's not a Fullerton finalist, I, don't ask me. I, I, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, he's been phenomenal all season long. Who, who they will be facing on Saturday is a Penn defense, a Princeton defense, excuse me, that is a week removed from one of the most impressive performances of their season. So, when you look at the Princeton defense last week, they played a Boston U attack line of Luis Profeta, Vince Alto, Timmy Light. Is that attack line as good as Yale's? I would say no, but it's still a very, very good attack line, a very productive attack line that's been uh, solid and has produced all season long. They held them to goose eggs on the stat sheet. All of them. Goose egg, goose egg, goose egg on the stat sheet. That, that's insane. And I feel like that was the best game that we've seen in, in terms of a holistic a defensive approach um, from this Princeton defense. And they've moved some guys in and out uh, last week as well to get some fresh legs in there. It's not, you know, they're replacing, uh, you know, replacing guys from time to time. Uh, but George Bond, Ben Finley, Colin Mulshon have been those starters uh, for the, the pretty much the entire season there. 
and, and how that, you know, works out there is going to be interesting. Um, George Bond got the Brandau matchup last time around. We'll see how uh, they play that this time. Um, and really both of these units, I think, are, are very similar in that uh, they not only are coming off of really, really good performances, but they uh, come into Saturday with a as a unit that is uh, what I would say is deep in terms of, and not just those starters, but the bench guys as well that can come in and play. Um, and, and really you can just holistically, not just the Yale attack, not just the Princeton close defense, but the offense and defense of these teams entirely are pretty deep. And so that's going to be an interesting matchup there to see how the chess match there, how that goes off. Speaking of another chess mass, chess match between offense and defense, Yale is going to have their hands full with uh, on the other end, well, on the offensive end as well, but on the other end, certainly, um, against the Princeton offense. And this is a Princeton offense that is really dang good. Really dang good. Um, when you look at this, at, at this unit, it it is Chris Brown it, it is your quarterback. Alex Slusher, Colton Matheson join that attack line as strong shooters and creators in their own right. Sam English, Alexander Valdado, Christian Rondo, uh, Rondo, excuse me, you want to call him Rondo, uh, Chris, uh, Christian Rondo, and then you got the Swiss Army knife and Jake Stevens. Uh, those guys create havoc for any defense at the midfield, Stevens and English guys that can play on both ends and can get that transition offense going. This is a dangerous Princeton offense, to, to, to be frank. This is a dangerous offense. This is a dangerous midfield. This is a dangerous attacking. And they're going up against a declining Yale defense. Yale now ranks 54th nationally in scoring defense. They've allowed 15 goals per game each of each of the games uh, over the past month or past four games. That is terrible. That is terrible. They're the worst defense in the quarterfinals in terms of what they've done in recent history. Now, I think you could say Princeton's defense has had some ups and downs as well. But Yale, they've been on a steady decline for the past month or so. How they respond here, and look, Jared Parquette's been pretty dang good. Like, he's been pretty dang good. He's done what he's needed to do. But at the close close defense, the the, 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 the short sticks, like, this has not been a good defense out in front of a cage in recent, in recent history, meaning the last month. This is not, it's just not been that. And, and, and look, are they going to be able to have a bounce back game? Because they're going to need it. They're going to need it. They are going to need it. And it, it, if they can't stop this, this Princeton offense, it, it could be a long day. And a, another area where if they can't stop them defensively, and they can't stop them. Good segue, Hugh. At the face-off dot, uh, 
it, it's going to be tough for, for for Yale to get possession and, and, and to make make their way in this game. At the faceoff dot, Tyler Sandoval, 54% on the season. Nicholas Ramsey, 53% on the, on the season. Neither of these teams are world beaters at the faceoff dot, to be frank. Neither of these teams, like, jump off the stat sheet. They don't have any face-off guy that is just – that wows you like a Zach Cole or a Mikey Sisselberger. Um, but last time out, Sandoval went 64%. Ramsey went 8 for 22. As the starter, James Ball, who went 8 for 5 in the second – mostly in the second half last week, um, went 1 for 5. Uh, Machado Rodriguez went 1 for 1 also – seeing action in that game as well. We'll see who gets the upper hand this time around because it if Princeton gets the upper hand and the Yale defense does not – and the Yale defense is not able to contain that Princeton offense on all sides, that is a, that is a recipe for disaster in New Haven. Let's, let's just say that. And, like, this offense could do all they can. But you have to possess the ball to be able to do that. And if they can't do that, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Now, I do think Nicholas Ramsey has improved a lot since that last Princeton game. And I do think Yale, uh, in terms of the ride, we'll see how that did really impact things to a, 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 a major extent last time around. But we'll see how the ride – how the ride goes here against Princeton um, and, you know, how how this game comes together. I'm interested to see how this game comes together. This was a close game last time. You never felt like Princeton was really out of it, even though Yale did get, like, where they have two kind of big runs to put them ahead. Um, and Princeton almost came back and won this game. It was an exciting matchup. I'm looking forward to an exciting one here again on Saturday. Moving on to Sunday's games. Um, and so, FYI, I do have uh, previews up for the Saturday games on lacrossebucket.com, uh, what to watch in Penn Rutgers and what to watch in uh, Princeton Yale. Uh, a lot of what I just kind of talked about is, is in those. Um, won't have the previews for the Sunday games up until uh, Friday. So uh, this podcast will come out before those articles do. Let's get into it here. Uh, Cornell and Delaware. We'll start with this one. Cornell, they come into this one after weathering the storm, (laughs) literally and figuratively, last week against Ohio State. Big Red are facing the Delaware Blue Hens on Saturday, this one in Columbus, Ohio. Delaware stunned number two Georgetown, obviously, as we all watched on Sunday night in the first round to advance. Um, sets up, a, you know, there are two off-field storylines here. Ben DeLuca scoring off against his former team, whom he took to championship weekend in 2013, plus... Current Cornell head coach Connor Busick will be back in his native Ohio uh, playing, uh, coaching uh, with the Big Red. 
so should be a lot of Ohio natives there, um, Cincinnati natives, uh, you know, up in Columbus, chewing on uh, Busick. Let's get into some of these matchups here to watch, some storylines matchups. A, the Cornell attack versus the Delaware defense. CJ Coast, Michael Long, John P. Telly. One of the best attack lines of college across that I don't think gets enough respect this, uh, at least hasn't this year. Doesn't get enough respect. Um, P. Telly, you know, and, and is kind of the veteran shooter, coast, budding young star who seemingly is always in the right place at the right time. See a couple of his goals last week. He, he's, a, he's a stellar, you know, spot up shooter. Um, Michael Long is the quarterback of this offense. You know, last week, you know, Coast had the seven-goal game. Pietelli went four for one. Long went one for two. That's a combined 15 points between the three. Uh, they've combined for 200 points, 134 goals this season alone. That's uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. P- pretty dang good, if, if I must say so. Um, th- this is a, you know, a- a- another good offense that, Delaware is going to have to go up against. And this is a Delaware defense led by Owen Grant there. And uh, he's not in cage, um, out in front of the cage, who is not only a guy that's he's just an opposing, he's going to put you through a blender. Like he's going to put you through the rough house as a, def- as a defender. Uh, you know, if you get, if, if he's on you, it's going to be a rough day. Um, most likely when you're on Owen Grant, he's very active. He's also a guy that can threaten in transition. Matt Kilkeely, very, very good goaltender uh, who anchors this defensive unit. He had that 14-save game against Georgetown. The Blue Hens have held each of their past four opponents to single digits. Each of their past four. Can they do it here? Can they do it here against Cornell? That is, that is the question. If they can... Phenomenal. Can they do that and win is is what I want to know. Can they hold this offense and win that way? Because that is going to be the that, – if they want to win, that's one of the keys. Is like You have to shut down this attack unit as best as you can. And this is an attack unit. They move the ball so well. You know, it, it, it's going to be a difficult task. It's going to be a difficult task. Uh, but, you know, last week was a difficult task as well for Delaware. They passed that one. Let's see how they pass this test. Another storyline here to watch more on the Cornell side, Gavin Adler's impact. Uh, who, you know, I – so they put Will Bowen on J.P. Ward last week for the majority of the game. Uh, you know, is that who they will put Adler on, Cornell? Um he held Jack Myers to two and one last week. Held Matt Brand out to one one a week uh, prior to that in the Ivy League semifinals. Although they lost in that game, this is a guy who constantly draws the opponent's top offensive player and played his match and has played his matchups very well throughout the season. This is a Delaware offense that is based around their trio of tie coach J.P. Ward, Mike Robinson. Ward, I mentioned, got the Bowen matchup last week. Georgetown's top to pick, top pole. Is that what Cornell does? Do they put Adler on Ward? 
He's their leading scorer. You also have this guy, Mike Robinson and Ty Coates, very flashy players. Players that can just, out of thin air seemingly, make these ridiculous, insane plays and guys that you have to watch for. So, furthermore, like, not only how does, like, how does Adler impact this game and what can he do against his matchup, but how does Cornell play this? Like, do you go with a, because, and I guess you could say the same thing with this. These are two really good offenses. These are two uh, pretty decent defenses. How do you attack this kind of offense where the, the ball just whips around so fast? And you saw them get some inside looks last week against Georgetown. Um, though, so we'll see how this Cornell offense, this Cornell defense plays that Delaware offense, and we'll see how Gavin Adler impacts this game. Another storyline here is the middle of the field. Cornell has deployed a relentless ride this season. The Big Red have held their opponents to a 77% mark in the clearing game. However, Delaware has only faced one opponent that has held them under 80% in the clearing game. That was Fairfield. When you have a guy like Owen Grant, when you have guys like that, especially, who can step over the midline and be impactful, it, it, it's not such a daunting task to move the ball upfield. They can do it pretty easily. And they did it pretty easily against Georgetown. Georgetown doesn't get out and, and, and kill you in the ride. Or, or, you know. Cornell can, though. And with Delaware not of facing that, not of not having faced a, a relentless ride like that really all season. It's going to be interesting to see how they react to that. Um, and, and look, I think if Cornell is successful in the ride, they're going to be successful defense on, on, on offense. You saw that against Ohio State in that first game, especially turning those uh, failed clears into goals. And they've done that all season. Um, they haven't been maybe as consistent in the ride, and their success there as some other teams, but they've been pretty dang good at it. And I, I mean, I think this is this is one area where they certainly have a, a, a massive leg up over Delaware, or could have a massive leg up, I should say, over Delaware in terms of the impact they can make in in the middle of the field on the ride and really push this Delaware team maybe out of their comfort zone a little bit for what they want to do, what they're able to do. They're more of a six-on-six type offense, but like they can move, they can play fast. They can, um, so so maybe they get them out of their comfort zone a little bit there. A, a lot of times, with some of these mid-major teams, they you know you don't want to run against a team like Cornell, um, who may be a bit more athletic than you, maybe a bit more uh, not not well conditioned, but. You know, just, just overall, maybe deeper, talented. Like, like you don't want to do that. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that impacts this game and, and that ride from Cornell could be an impactor in that nature. So that is the Cornell-Delaware game. Now let's go Maryland and Virginia. The number one thing I'm watching here is the face-off dot. Uh, first, let's set the stage. Maryland, Virginia. Met last year in the national title game. Maryland is undefeated 
Big Ten champions. They're looking to become the first team since 2006 Virginia to go undefeated and win a national title. These two teams saw each other in the national title game last year. As I mentioned, they also saw each other in a regular season meeting in Washington, D.C., 23-12 convincing win for Maryland in that game. This is going to be, you know, a, a lot closer, though. I, I really do feel – I don't feel like this is going to be a, a 23-12 game. I, I really don't. I feel like this is going to be a, you know, we'll see what the like, – I, I, this is going to be a three- to five-point game. Like, if Maryland is playing at their best and Virginia is playing at their best, this this could be a one – like – a one to five goal game is kind of the range I'm putting this at. It's either a one goal game or it's a five goal game. It can be anywhere in between there, but I think that is the the, the the minimum is one and the maximum is five for the amount of points that the the, the amount of goals that a team will win by. I think if Virginia wins, it's going to be a one to three point game. I think if Maryland wins, it could be a five-point game. Like, this is – we all know Maryland is the best team in the country. They do everything well. They don't seem to have any holes. I have no clue where the hole is. I, how do you play them? I, I don't know. It, 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 it's ridiculous. Um, but the, the one thing I'm watching is the face-off battle. So, and let, let's pull up this stat sheet from last time that these two guys played each other. So, in that game – was really where a lot of people pointed to and said, Luke Waterman, he's improved. He has improved. He's the most improved player in college lacrosse. And I, I honestly believe that. He went 24 for 36 in that game. First of all, 36 face-offs in a game, that's ridiculous. Um, but when you're scoring a lot, you, you, you do a lot of that. That's 66% there. And, and look – they're going to have to throw the kitchen sink at him. Petey Osala went 5 for 18. Gable Braun went 9 for 21 as the, the, those two guys there. Does Virginia have to throw in a poll this time? I don't know. But I think number one is to contain Luke Weilman as best as you can. And that, that face-off battle is going to be interesting. And, and when you look at the last time these two played, so look at the national title game in 2021 and go look at what that was in terms of the faceoff dot. That's a game where P.D. Lasala went 21 for 37. P.D. Lasala won the battle, going 56% there. But Luke Waterman, 14 of 30, he did. You know, that's 46%. But, you no. Know, I think Wildman did improve down the stretch last season. We saw that. You go from going 46% against somebody to, what did I say, 66%? That's insane. That's insane. So, yeah, the face-off dot is like the number one area where I'm watching the, in this game. Uh, and for good reason. Maryland, you can't let them get those juice goals. You can't let them get, get those extra possessions off the faceoff. You let them do that, you're dead. You're a dead man walking. You let them just get what they want, you might as well just go home. 
Might as well not even play the game. So, yeah, face-off battle is one of the biggest areas to watch. And then also, another thing to watch from uh, you know, more of a Virginia perspective is, like, what does this defense do? So, you're going up against a Maryland motion offense that is just, I mean insane in, in terms of the amount of touches they get. And, like, look, Cole Cashman, Kate Sostad, Quinn Matusi, like, what are y'all going to do? Matthew Nunes and Cage, like, I, Virginia's going to have to come up with something to, to, to stop this offense because you slide to one guy and you, got, you slide to one All-American, there's another All-American open on the other side. Slide to him, there's another All-American open up top. You slide to him, oh, there's an All-American behind the cage. We're going to reset the play. I mean, that's it, – it, it, it's insane what, what this offense can do. Um, and Virginia's going to have to win some of those battles, some of those matchups. Uh, they're on the defensive end, and, and, and they're going to have to stop that. Second thing, uh, uh, well, I'll say for this, and then, like, conversely – Virginia's going to have to win their matchups offensively. Like, Connor Schoenberger has to do his thing. Connor Schoenberger has to do his thing. What I want to see for this Virginia team is what we've seen in recent weeks, which is Schoenberger, Cormier, Moore, Dixon, Connor, Schutz, all getting involved. Like, if you get all of those guys involved, Evans in involved as well. Like, if you get all those guys plus some others, the, the, the like this is an offense when it goes to work and it goes to work like that and, and it's rocking and rolling and they're moving the ball correctly or I shouldn't say correctly they're moving the ball right uh and, and, and getting in those gaps getting in those seams finding those shooting lanes getting inside which is going to be a difficult task against this Maryland defense but I may call it Ajax Zapatello Logan McNaney, like, in cage. Like, getting inside finishes are, is going to be tough. Winning your one-on-one matchups. Like, they're, they're not going to – like, this is not a Virginia team that's going to win one-on-one matchups and just go that route of, like, oh, I'm going to beat my man and, you know, get topside and get a shot. Like, you, you're not going to win that way. You have to move the ball. You have to get this defense out of rotation. So just the matchups in this game, I think, are are just intriguing um, from that perspective as well. But certainly with Virginia's defense and how they can control this motion Maryland offense that put up 23 against them last time. I mean, they put up 23 against you. We know this is a good Virginia defense. You held good teams to single digits. Notre Dame, North Carolina. Like, you have done that. They've also had some maybe iffy games, you know. Um, they, they held Brown to 10 last week. I thought the defense played pretty good last week there against the Bears. So, like, this is, you know, the, but this, again, this is their biggest test of the season. Their biggest test of the season. Offensively, defensively, just all over the place. Biggest test of the season. 
Last point I want to make to you is, um, so talk about the middle of the field. We've talked about that a lot on, on, on this episode, I feel like. And we talk about that a lot when we talk about Virginia and, and their D-mids, and I think they've been pretty pretty good. Maryland's D-mids have been really good this year. Roman Puglisi, uh, Bubba Fairman, was escaping the name. You know, kind of he- helping to headline that unit. This is a Maryland defensive midfield core, a Maryland rope unit that um, they can do some damage. They can do some damage. John Geppert at the LSM spot, Pobliski, uh running at the LSM spot as well. Jake Higgins should mention. As a demon, these are guys that can really make life miserable for the opposition. And you saw against Vermont, where Maryland getting those transition opportunities killed Vermont. Now, Virginia is going to be able to strike back better than Vermont was. Um, and no disrespect to the cat- catamounts there, but Virginia is just going to be able to do so. But the question is, for how long? For how long can you do that? Maryland can run a, can run three marathons in the time that other teams can run one, it seems like. That might be a bad analogy, but hey, I'm thinking on the fly here. That is, no. You don't want to get outrun. And Virginia you know, could get outrun. We'll see where things go in that uh, aspect, but they're going to have to shut down the transition offense of Maryland. They don't do it like a ton. Like they're not Rutgers in the NASCAR offense, but they can get out and run, and they can do some pretty darn good damage while doing so. And so, if the Virginia ride, you want to you want to make a, a championship weekend. Uh, NCAA tournament appearance again. Be my guest because that that like, those areas that's another matchup area. You're gonna have to win. You're gonna have to win. You're gonna have to stop those early offense opportunities uh, because they drain you, and you cannot get drained against Maryland. All right, folks, that is it for today's show. As always, thank you all for tuning in. You can connect with us on social media at Lacrosse Bucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. As I mentioned, we have those NCAA quarterfinal previews up. Uh, Saturdays is up already at time of this being posted. Sundays will be up on Friday, so you may or may not have already read that before you listen to this. All right, folks, have a great weekend. Enjoy the lacrosse. I will be, will be back with y'all on Sunday to recap it all. And we'll, we'll be back here on sometime next week to preview Championship Weekend. But let's not look too far ahead in the future. Let's enjoy this weekend.